I'm Alexandra Dawson, Community Development Officer here at LA LISC, and thank you for tuning in to our second season of the Changemakers LA podcast. Changemakers LA is the podcast series of LA LISC. It is a tribute to the people and the policies that work to make LA neighborhoods good places to live, work, and play. This season, we continue our forum for contemporary changemakers and LISC partners to share how they tackle the pressing issues of affordable housing, economic development, transportation, and safety in a time of growing prosperity and growing inequity in LA. In this episode, we will be speaking with an alum from our Housing Development Training Institute, or as we like to call it around here, HDTI. Since 1988, the California Local Initiative Support Corporation offices has sponsored numerous HDTIs, over 400 people representing 100 community development organizations throughout California are graduates. LISC launched HDTI in response to an unmet educational need for a comprehensive program to develop the skills of the staff of community development corporations. I could go on and on about the benefits of the HDTI program, but today we have someone who can attest to its value firsthand. Rochelle Mills is the President and Chief Executive Officer of Innovative Housing Opportunities. As President and CEO, Rochelle is responsible for IHO's housing development, new project and program initiatives, business development relations, and oversees legislative advocacy and policy interests, as well as stakeholder relations. Rochelle brings a diverse background in architecture, design, construction admin, community planning, writing, and cultural tourism. She is the past president of the Southern California Association of Nonprofit Housing and serves on several public and nonprofit boards, service committees, and leadership groups. Rochelle, thanks so much for being here. Thanks for inviting me. So Rochelle, what uh, made you decide to pursue a career in affordable housing development? Actually, I got into it by accident. My husband and I had a design practice and the economy was not doing well. And so people weren't hiring architects, they weren't going on cultural tours. And I have a sister uh, who has a uh, design studio and she was doing She was overseeing construction uh, administration for HUD projects and asked if Mm -hmm. I would stand in and help her out because she didn't have enough employees. I did not anticipate that I would be moving into affordable housing. I simply thought it was something to do until the uh, high-end architectural clients came back. Uh But I started doing the inspections for Irvine Housing Opportunities. And when that project was done, the board asked if I would be interested in staying on because they now, because of how they financed the uh, syndication of the project, they had resources and they wanted to find out if they were going to uh, become a foundation, um, become a CDFI, or to actively begin development. And that's how I got involved. I came in as a part-time basis in 2006, and 12 years later, I'm still here. <laughs> so what made you decide to, to stay in, the, um, in that role that you played? And what has been your career path since then? How did you get to where you are today? Well, what's interesting is uh, there are so many of us in, in the housing development arena who come from architecture and design backgrounds. And I think the reason is because we're looking at the complete environment, placemaking, 
how mm -hmm. buildings weave into communities, uh, how people interact in those uh, spaces that we create. And so to me, it, it's a logical progression from architecture and design because I can look at the entire picture. Uh, I may not be directly involved in the design, but I have an influence in how that um, community is going to be, what it's going to look like, what the uh, three dimensions of it are going to look like. And to me, that's pretty exciting. Yeah, and in turn, how, how the residents are going to interact with their environment, right? Absolutely. Not only the residents, but those who, um, who would instinctively rebel against the idea of affordable housing. What they're usually fighting against are the stereotypical images of right. what affordable housing looked like. And they're concerned about uh, its impact to their property values, to the perception of their communities. Uh, most of our uh, urban communities are renters and not homeowners, but they have a very strong sense of pride in their communities and they don't want to be uh, connected to a negative image of poverty or, or anything like that. So being able to show people today what affordable housing looks like, how responsive it is, how it actually in lower income communities raises the um, property values is a pretty awesome thing to be involved in. Yeah, and you know, that's something I was gonna ask you about a little bit later on in the conversation, but I might as well ask you now because we're talking about it. But, um, you know, you mentioned um, people who might not understand what affordable housing is or might be opposed to it, and us in the industry, we call them NIMBYs. And I'm sure many people have heard that term before, the not in my backyard um, folks. But how do you, um, you know, how do you work with those people and get them to understand what, what we're doing and what affordable housing is and why affordable housing is a human right? Um, it, it sounds like one way you, you tackle that is through design, which is very interesting. Um, but how else do you engage people and, and get them to understand where, what we're trying to do? Well, one of the things is that, uh, people are afraid of things they can't relate to. And um, almost more than those who finally understand that this housing is beautiful, I find that their angst goes almost 180 degrees the other way. Well, then why are you giving that to them? Why can't I qualify mm -hmm. for something like that? Why mm -hmm. are you using taxpayer dollars and I don't get to benefit? And so I, I find that the challenge for affordable housing developers is to tell our story better. You know, if we come into a community and the uh, neighborhood gossip's already started, we've come in too late. Um, we need to get there at a time when we can talk about the fact that um, it's something that's very attractive or that we can talk about the fact that most affordable housing has community rooms and programs that everyone in the community can benefit from. If we use our uh, resources to bring the community in and make sure that they know that housing is about engaging, at least for IHO, 
innovative housing opportunities. It's about engaging the community and building a legacy and starting a tradition that families can then pass on. Then people start to uh, take ownership of it. And then you turn adversaries into advocates. Uh, but what it takes is more time than, than most developers have. Mm -hmm. uh, it, it takes a lot more time and therefore time is resources and getting staff out into the community is not always something that can be penciled on the balance sheet. But if you have a true mission of investing in people and not just real estate, then you will find like IHO has that it is critical to do it. And it, it's not something that you can separate out. That's really well said. You mentioned NIMBY. One of my board members mentioned a term I hadn't heard of. He says it's beyond NIMBY now. He calls it banana. Build absolutely nothing <laughs> anywhere near anybody. <laughs> and, and we find we will get into neighborhoods. There was a time when, when senior housing was acceptable. People don't want seniors in their neighborhood now. There was a time when you uh, wanted veterans. People don't want veterans in their neighborhood. Uh, now you're talking about uh, building housing that um, the 20-somethings and those graduating from high school and college so they can have a place. Everybody agrees with it but they just don't want it. It's not even in their backyard. They don't want it in their zip code. So he always talks about how do we handle the bananas out there? <laughs> Those who That's... simply want a voice in not allowing anything. And I think it comes from a sense of powerlessness uh, and maybe uh, again, going back to how do we work it into our game plan and into our budget that we've got to change the perception and let people know that what we're building is something that will be a catalyst for the neighborhood, a catalyst for the community, and that they really need to be engaged in um, the planning and the, uh, uh, the programming. And it's a great opportunity for everyone to get involved. Yeah, and that, that speaks to, um kind of leads into some questions that I wanted to ask about HDTI, but um, from the perspective of a project manager, it's, you know, it's not always all about the numbers and, you know, making sure that the project pencils and you can get it built, but it's also about um, that community engagement piece too. Like you mentioned, it's not always, you know, that that's going to be positive for the balance sheet, but it's something that is a critical piece to the work that we do. Um, well, it's true. If people are only concerned with the numbers, then uh, the legacy for the industry is not in a good shape. If we do our job well, then other developers can come and do their job well. Uh, something that I noticed uh, being involved with SCAMF, which is the Southern California Association of Nonprofit Housing, we had an annual um, conference and we would give out awards. But we finally decided that we would also do an exhibit that went with it. The thing mm -hmm. that surprised us was that the cities would come by and they'd look and say, that's a project in my neighborhood. I need a copy of that board so that when the community challenges me, I can show them. Mm -hmm. And so being able, again, telling our story, we're just not doing it well. Being able to equip 
those who are influencers or policy decision makers with the tools that they need to be our advocates, I think should be a priority for us. If we want them to support housing, then we've got to give them those sexy pictures and those stories and do it in a way that they can hand it out without having to, um, you know, dedicate staff to finding it out. We've already done the research. We need to make sure that if they need it, it's accessible to them. Yeah, and that's why everybody involved, I mean, in this industry is not only has their day-to-day role to play, but also they need, yeah, like you say, we need to be advocates for what we're doing too. Right. So, um, so I want to get back to a little bit about HCTI. Mm-hmm. I keep going, going off of very, um, very important topics. But let me let me ask you a couple of questions about HCTI. Sure. And full disclosure, Rochelle and I were roommates in advanced HCTI back in <laughs> when we're, it was only a couple of years ago. It doesn't it doesn't date us. Um, so we go way back to our advanced HCTI days. Um, but made you decide to enroll in HDTI and where were you in your career? I took my first HDTI class and I believe it was 2010. And I did it because I had been with IHO for three years and didn't feel I understood uh, the field in, in technical terms and being able to speak the language. If you're new to affordable housing, there are a lot of acronyms and it could be really intimidating. Mm-hmm. So I took that first course and even my board commented on the confidence that I had. Up until that time, I felt like an imposter coming into affordable housing and just hanging on for dear life to yep. the terms and <laughs> phrases, then going back home and trying to look up the acronyms. But what it, it was such a well-rounded program. And I am, we were talking about it today, um, how many people from that cohort that I was in are in different positions of influence, some running for uh, city council, some in LA Metro uh, uh, infrastructure, some running organizations. And it is amazing now to be able to reach out if I have any questions and know that I still have resources and all of these people. And the only thing that connected us was the HDTI program. Yeah, that's that's so true. You look back at the, the cohorts and see where everyone's gone. And, you know, we hear it time and time again that people... Um, feel like they can just pick up the phone and call somebody from their group because you have this experience early in your careers together where you, you know, you learned everything that there is to know about affordable housing development and had all of these, what we, we always refer to in class as these aha moments <laughs> <Yes>. um, <laughs> where you finally figure something out. But you, you know, you feel comfortable enough calling these people with, it might be a silly question or a really important question because you had that experience together. Um, exactly. And you, you ended up taking advanced HGTI a couple of right. years later, right. right, in your career? It's interesting. I took it wondering, I thought it would just be a refresher, uh, but it really was just a, a tune-up to the next level um, at a time when IHO was 
moving into the next level. So it was perfect timing. And um, a lot of, it was interesting, a lot of different types of people were in that class than were in my original one. This time we were getting people from uh, city government. And I thought that that was interesting because it meant that the ACTI program was helping train those people who we have to interface with on a daily basis uh, to be more sensitive to the concerns of developers. Yeah, the advanced program definitely um, touches on different aspects or expands upon different aspects of the, the HTTI fundamentals program. Um, and it is, uh, it's a great expansion upon what you learned. So I, I think anybody who takes HTTI, if they have the opportunity to take advanced, um, it's well worth it. it. Kind of going back to the overall discussion around the affordable housing industry, given the, the lack of affordable housing right now, the homelessness crisis going on in the city of LA and around the country, what, what issues around you know, these topics keep you up at night? And what are you thinking about um, most on a, on a global if level? If there is one concern that keeps me up day and night is the fact that I think in affordable housing, we have such a short attention span uh, and it forces us to go after um, very specific and finite solutions. For example, mm -hmm. uh, I mentioned that when I came into affordable housing, it, seniors were uh, where the money was. And that means all of the money went to seniors. Then it was large families. And it meant all of the money went to families, mm -hmm. but none for seniors. Right now we are looking at a homelessness, a housing crisis. So all of the resources are going into homelessness chronic homelessness and mental illness, but nothing is going into, um, you know, the, the moderate income, uh, regular families, veterans or seniors, unless we can connect them back to homelessness. And I think as an industry, if we keep chasing the newest sexy, we're never going to solve the housing project globally we're only going to put band-aids on whatever manages to make it to yeah. the headline. I, I completely hear you and, and agree with that. It, it's an unfortunate mechanism of the, of the industry because there's so few dollars that we have to have to chase after whatever is available um, and focus our attention on, on issues which are rightly very, very important issues. Um, but it takes our focus away from other segments of the population that might need help and might need housing as well. So I, I, I think that that is um, a huge issue that we face in the industry. It, kind of on the flip side of that, are there any innovations in affordable housing that you've been thinking of lately or that have caught your attention? Something that you think could change the industry or boost the industry or, or um, you know, do something to up our levels of production and, and see more affordable housing. Built. You know, I actually think that the 
difficult times that we're in are giving birth to a lot of innovation and creativity. Um, people are coming up with newer ways to um, build. Um, they haven't proven to cash flow yet, but the fact that we're looking at things that will reduce the amount of time uh, and bring units onto the marketplace a lot sooner. Uh, they're getting cities to start to consider what are the ways that we can eliminate the red tape and uh, reduce the overall time for entitlements and, and those kinds of things. It's forcing us into partnerships that we wouldn't have thought of before with health uh, care corporations and artists and mm -hmm. just really creative solutions uh, that people are looking at. It, it will take time to find out if they will scale and if they can be replicable. But I find that sometimes we lo get lulled into complacency and we need a crisis to uh, remind us of why it's important to do what we're doing. I, I hear you. I think there's been we've heard here at LISC about a lot of innovation in the field and we're anxiously awaiting, um, you know, seeing these projects come to fruition and seeing some of these ideas blossom to really see if they're going to uh, make an impact. And like you said, make a scalable impact and help us build more units. Absolutely. So I wanted to end on a, a positive note. I, you know, we're, we get into the weeds of, of our jobs, and, you know, every day can be, uh, you know, you have so many fires to put out every day and we can get caught up in those little details. But um, I was just at a grand opening yesterday and it's always that moment at the end where you see people moving into the housing um, and hear their stories that it, you get reminded why this work is important and why you do what you do. So I was wondering if you could share with us kind of a, um, a story from the field on, on what is something that's happened to you recently or a story you've heard recently that has given you that, you know, that boost or that extra mm -hmm. energy to keep doing what you're doing. A couple weeks ago, we had a, an open house at one of our projects at, uh, in Irvine, Park Darien. It was a project that was built because of inclusionary housing requirements. And what we did was we had a carve out that included veterans, formerly homeless, and uh, um, developmentally disabled, along with uh, workforce housing. And I remember one of the uh, developmentally disabled young people going to the microphone to speak and his mother had a camera and she was videotaping because this is a population that gets uh, overlooked quite a bit. And she was mm -hmm. videotaping and she could barely videotape through the tears. And so I had my phone out and I went to go videotape for her, but I couldn't hold my phone up <laughs> because of my tears. And someone else Aww. was standing behind me and was trying to help. All of us were little blubbering idiots, but the... <laughs> Just seeing uh, a one-bedroom apartment for a 20-year-old who otherwise would probably not be able to move out from his home meant not only did he have 
his own place. And he talked about being able to eat what he wanted and, and go to bed when he wanted. Mm -hmm. But it also gave an incredible sense of pride to his parents and to everyone in that room. And to me, when you can take the stigma off of a family's most difficult time uh, in not being able to provide for themselves or their families and give them that um, dignity back, that's what makes it all worthwhile. That's so beautiful, Rochelle. Thank you for sharing that. Thank you so much for joining us. As always, it's a pleasure to talk with you. You bring me inspiration every time we talk. So uh, I look forward to the next time each other and keep doing the great work that you're doing. Thanks, Alex. Take care. Also, for any of our listeners out there that have been inspired by our guest stories and are interested in a career in affordable housing, please join our email list via the link in the podcast notes so we can help you get started on your journey to being a change maker. Please join the discussion on Twitter at LA underscore LISC, L-I-S-C, hashtag ChangemakersLA. Thank you for listening to LA LISC Changemakers LA podcast. The 2018-2019 LA LISC Housing Development Training Institute, aka HDTI, has been made possible by a generous grant from CIT One West Bank to support the training of the next generation of affordable housing professionals to lead local organizations and make a long-lasting impact on the Southern California community. If you would like to support LA LISC or learn more about our work, please visit us online at www.lisc.org slash Los hyphen Angeles and follow us on Twitter at LA underscore LISC. Production support was provided by Samantha Salmon and the Donias. You can find the rest of the series on SoundCloud or iTunes. Subscribe to LA LISC page to hear more conversations about the people and places that shape Los Angeles. <laughs>